Hi, Christ Central. This is Pastor Jason here, and I'm so excited to podcast with you this week. You're now listening to the Tight Five. I find myself here batting in the number two slot in this death row lineup that is this pastoral staff. And I think it's an appropriate slot for me. You see, the number two hitter is usually the guy that's called upon to lay down the sacrifice bunt so that the leadoff batter could advance and for the number three and four hitters to just feast. I am here for that. I'm not even mad at that at all. You see, I have the unenviable task of trying my hand at this podcast game on the heels of Pastor Inn. Man, he did such a great job. But here I am. Put me in, coach. Have you had a hard week? I'm sure we've all had some weeks that were pretty unbearable. Perhaps the last few weeks felt more like a year, I'm sure. Jesus had a pretty hard week too. Passion week, I'll confess, kind of snuck up on me. Kind of like those pesky assignments in college that I found out about six hours before they were due. But I'm glad that we can take a quick moment, collect our breaths, and ponder. On the second day of Passion Week, we look back at Jesus' cleansing of the temple. This is one of the few instances where he expresses visible and visceral rage at the defiling of the temple. He calls the money exchangers a den of robbers. And personally for me, on a side note, I love that Jesus expresses his righteous anger. He has a real mean streak, an edge. I love it. But what amazes me most about Jesus in this story is not so much the demonstrative act of cleansing the temple, though it must have been quite a scene. What I'm most floored by is Jesus' sustained pastoral bent, even until his last days. I mean, if anyone could pull out his accrued PTO and ask for a week off to prepare for, let's say, I don't know, the cross, he would be the most qualified. He could have easily said, I have bigger fish to fry, and zoom through all the seemingly mundane, lesser tasks and duties. But Jesus was always on. He never took a break. And it is in that wonder in which I have, like the good Presbyterian that I am, would like to distill my reflections in three neatly packed points. First, Jesus cares about the details, even the small ones. I admit that I'm not the biggest detail-oriented person. In fact, sometimes my head is so up in the clouds that I forget that I still have a life to live on the daily. And while there are parts of me that enjoy operating at 10,000 feet in, in the air, I realize that I have a tendency to brush off, with an audible scoff, the smaller things. I use phrases like in the long run or it doesn't even matter. I sometimes surprise myself at just how cavalier I can get with these things. Sometimes I get in arguments over house decor because I just don't care what shade of white I want in my apartment. Like, do you really care if a certain shade is eggshell? 
Did you know that there are 52 different shades of white? I did not. Those things just don't register with me. Destination always trumps the journey. But for Jesus, even with all the things going on, during the hustle and bustle of Passover, he takes time to be present and takes notice of the finer details. This is foreign to me. When my mind is at full capacity and my schedule is jam-packed, the first thing I toss out is the, the smaller things, the details. Specific to Matthew's account of the same story, it says that Jesus healed the blind and the lame that had approached them. In Luke's account, it says that Jesus taught daily. And so Jesus is not above your request. He's not too busy to care and sympathize. And that is rebuking and convicting for me to be present and take note of the smaller details. Second, Jesus cares about all people. This might be the most obvious statement I've ever uttered, but it's a good reminder, a timely reminder. We live in an age where people are being marginalized and ostracized. We've allowed politics, race, and even theological convictions to bring about division. And it seems like 2020 is the most divisive of them all. American novelist James Lane Allen famously said that adversity does not build character, it reveals it. And in this particular scenario, Jesus' wonderful and gracious character is revealed. Growing up, I was taught that Jesus was upset mainly because these money exchangers were charging exorbitant amounts at the temple, skimming off the top to keep for themselves. And I'm sure that factors into Jesus' anger here, but Jesus quotes Isaiah 56.7 by pronouncing that the temple was made to be a house of prayer. And let me read its full context, Isaiah 56, verses 6 and 7. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be His servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it, and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The temple, then, was not a place of division, but unity. But the steep, unreasonable prices prevented these foreigners who traveled long distances, it prevented them to purchase some of these proper sacrifices to worship. And this was what stoked Jesus's fire. Jesus stood up for the underdogs, the condescended. He championed their cause. And ultimately, we know that Jesus would champion the cause for the worst of all underdogs, sinners, the ones that had no leg to stand on. And yet we solemnly rejoice during Passion Week because He cares not just about the details, but He deeply cares about us as human beings. Once foreigners who had no identity, we are now adopted into the family of God.
Finally, at the end of Luke's account in chapter 19, verse 48, it says that all the people were hanging on his words, Jesus' words. This is not so much a reflection about Jesus, but a depiction of what I hope for in my own response to the person of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite words to describe people that really understood Jesus was the word lavish. Whether it's Mary lavishly wasting away time to be at the feet of Jesus, or the woman anointing the feet of Jesus lavishly with pure nard, or even the parable of the lost treasure where the man sells everything to purchase the field, I love the concept of almost a reckless wastefulness to be with Jesus, to honor Jesus, to be with Jesus. But I confess that I am not like that. It's hard for me to go big or go home, as they say. I like to diversify my bonds, have backup options, make sure I have an out, the back door slightly ajar, a backup plan. The idea of wasting time is especially bothersome. I'd rather read books to sharpen up my sermon than to hang on every word of Jesus Christ. In all reality, that was the worst irony of my time in seminary. I would read everything and anything about theology, yet have very little vacancy to actually spend time reading the Bible devotionally and to cultivate a real relationship with God. For me, this is not just personal. This is relational. Now, with even more time on my hands, I want to hang on every word that I can. Lavishly thinking about Jesus. Filling my mind, my entire being with Jesus. You see, Jesus can't be your Lord on your own schedule or on your own terms. He has to be Lord of all. And my hope is that similar to how the hours would simply fly by when you read a good book or watch a good show, I want to waste my time developing and cultivating a real, authentic relationship with with God. I want to hang on every word of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I desire this Passion Week. And that's a wrap, guys. First one is done. Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully you guys were blessed. Stay tuned. Until next time, grace and peace. God bless.